this fall. From the producers of Wedding Crashers. Comes the movie that's brighter than Friday Night Lights. I just keep dropping the ball. I don't know how to fix it. More special than radio. And has more balls. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop this kid. Than dodgeball. If you can dodge your wrench, you can dodge a tackler. Same thing goes for a firearm. The Comebacks. Previously on Saturday Night Jive. But he also directed The Comebacks with David Koechner, which is a movie we could watch for this podcast, but I would never want to watch for this podcast. Could it? Up until Bucky Larson, that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. I feel like we've exhausted David, unless you want to watch The Comebacks, which I think you've said is one of the worst movies you've ever seen. I did on our previous Bucky Larson podcast. I did mention that The Comebacks is a movie we could watch. I think my exact words were, we could watch this for the podcast, but I would never want to watch this for the podcast. Wikipedia, because it doesn't have a filmography on his Wikipedia. That's always a good sign, if they didn't even bother putting a filmography on his Wikipedia page. Oh fuck, he's in The Comebacks! But also, like, we brought up the comebacks on our Bucky Larson podcast because it's directed by the same guy. We Are then rolled David Koechner. That fake and, and then we then rolled Finesse Mitchell. I think it's just time that we have to do it. You like you any like juice? juice? Hopefully, this juice sounds a little better. We're trying an experimental thing. Yeah, we're working on being a little more professional. Welcome to Saturday Night Jive. This is the podcast where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live-related movies. This week we are talking about the film The Comebacks from 2007, starring David Koechner and Finesse Mitchell, our two SNL alums. I'm very curious on what you thought of this film, because if you've listened to past episodes of our podcast, I have cited The Comebacks as one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That was up until two days ago when I watched this movie and laughed my ass off. It took me a little longer than evidently it did for you, but I did ultimately enjoy this. It wasn't until iPod came out (laughs) and started humping David Koechner's leg that I I was finally on board with the movie. Before that, I feel like there were some jokes that just didn't sit right with me. There was a a horse jerk-off joke that reminded me of Freddy Got Fingered, and there was just some, there's some, like, transphobic stuff that just kind of, I was, I was kind of prepared for a bad time, and it was validating that preparation for a while, but then it just kind of overwhelmed me with the ridiculous gags, and, and by the, by the end of it, I was enjoying it. Yeah, there's funny gags in this movie, and more than that, this is a real movie. Like, this isn't anywhere near the Friedberg-Seltzer movies. Uh, this is a superhero movie situation where I think there's references and parodies to direct films in this movie, but that's not the whole point. The whole point is not to just spoof the sports movie genre. It's telling a story, and the characters, like iPod, who is just a direct parody of Radio, the Cuba Gooding Jr. movie, in a Freebird Seltzer movie, that would be a two-second gag. It would be like, oh, hey, look at uh, Radio, here he comes, isn't he stupid looking, and then that's the end of it. This movie, they make him a character who's throughout the movie, and he has a fucking arc. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. 
the, the points where they are making direct references, for the most part, they at least did something with them. The only one I would cite that feels crass, there's a scene where they do dodgeball, and you can almost feel like the people involved in that scene are like, ah, oh, I have to dress up like the guy from Dodgeball. Like, but other than that, like even like like when they reference like Varsity Blues or Friday Night Lights or whatever, it feels like they're actually making it into a joke that that justifies the reference. Yeah, they're turning these references into plot points. So like when we are introduced to iPod, we're also introduced to like all the other characters, and then there's like a fat guy who's obviously a reference to the fat guy in Varsity Blues. But he's a character. You're setting him up and you're, like, introducing him as an actual character in your film. He's not just a one-off, like, if you remember Epic Movie, Cal Penn starts off in the Nacho Libre universe, and then that's never referenced again. You know, this movie actually takes the time to set up characters and pay them off. And I don't know if I liked this movie more just because now, because of this podcast, I have seen so many shitty films that don't do what this movie does. Or if I like this movie just because it's fucking funny. Like, there's fucking funny jokes in this. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm wondering about that more and more. What this podcast is doing to our taste in movies. If it's, uh, if it's refining them because we're learning more about what makes bad movies bad. Or if it's just dulling our taste in movies because we've watched so many bad movies that I feel like it's refining our taste, but I don't know. This was the same year that Epic Movie came out. So I'm wondering if maybe I saw Epic Movie and then I just lumped the comebacks in with that. Like maybe I saw them in the same day or like the same week and I was just like, fucking spoof movies, they all suck. The comebacks, Epic Movie, they're the same thing. But they're completely not. This movie is good. Epic Movie is pure shit. Well, I remember seeing the trailer for this and just dismissing it as one of those movies, not even knowing whether or not it was made by the same people. It just seemed like they were advertising it as if, oh, this you liked Epic Movie, you'll love come, the comebacks. And I, obviously that was a mistake in hindsight, but uh, yeah, it, it, it left a bad taste for this movie in my mouth for years to where I never bothered to watch it. Yeah, no, this movie is it's really good. And what I love about it the most is that it takes its jokes seriously. Like, those Friedberg and Seltzer movies, they are just reference machines. This movie takes its jokes seriously, and the actors deliver them seriously. So it has that feel of, like, a Zucker Abrams Zucker movie. So when, like, David Koechner is, like, saying things like he doesn't know his children's names, he's not saying that as a joke, he's saying that in character. None of these people break characters. Their characters are consistent. Like, when we watch the Friedberg-Seltzer movies, again, I'm going to probably reference them a lot during this podcast... But those characters, like, at any point, they could just say, oh, I'm going to say this because that's what I feel like saying or that's what I was written to say. Doesn't matter if my character would or would not say that. This one, the lines that come from David Koechner feel like they come from David Koechner's character. There are flights of absurdity and there are movie references, but they're all still grounded in this reality. So even when, you know, like iPod shows up and he's a Cuba Gooding Jr. reference to radio... It still feels like it's part of the world. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're just referencing a movie and here's the character that comes into the movie. And it's amazing to me how far just that alone goes to making some of these jokes work that in in a different context wouldn't work. Uh, you know, because you mentioned like there are some gay jokes and some stuff that, that would maybe be offensive. But because the commitment to these to making these characters as you know characters... Like, like the, the runner of the, the Rudy kid who's constantly doing this, like, unintentional sexual innuendo as he's offering to do things for the coach. Coach, can I play in the next game? 
I'll toss your salad. Please tell me you're gonna start chopping up lettuce and tomatoes. I'll salute your flagpole. Please tell me you're a patriot. I'll pack your fudge. Please tell me you're a confectioner's assistant. Oh no, I, I really meant I was gonna pack your fudge and toss your salad. Like, those kind of jokes, they're, they come off as kind of lame, but just because that kid, you get the reference of Rudy right away, and then it's like he's so plucky, he's such a go-getter, that it's like, and then they just keep hammering at home, that even that kind of works. Or the radio stuff with iPod. It's a joke technically about basically mentally challenged people, but it's also making fun of the, the movie for exploiting mentally challenged people. But the, the joke still works because like you like that, you like that character. Yeah. And he has a good moment at the end where he, <laughs> I, I don't understand iPod's arc now that I think about it. Cause at the end of the movie, he's just like, yeah, I've been humping your leg and acting like I was just waiting for you to ask me my opinions. All right, now that you asked me, I'll go ahead and tell you my opinions. I know, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna maybe call you out on the whole arc thing because this is the kind of movie where by the third act, nothing matters, and they're just they're doing the iPod shuffle, and then David Keckner's humping his leg because it's just like <laughs> let's just go crazy, but but that's but fine I, too. Yeah, and I will even argue with what you just said. For me, by the end of the movie. I feel like they had earned all of that. Like in a lot of comedies, you'll get to the end of the movie and like, you know, they're paying stuff off and they're wrapping up storylines and it just doesn't feel like it's earned, you know, cause you didn't care about the characters and stuff. But like at that last football game, like when Matthew Lawrence finally holds onto the ball enough to score a touchdown. Yeah. I know he's only holding onto the ball cause he's imagining it. It's a pair of boobies. But <laughs> after that, I was like, Holy shit, they just paid off his fucking storyline. At the beginning of the movie, he can't hold on to the ball. Middle of the movie, he's learning, he's trying to learn how to hold on to the ball. End of the movie, he figures out how to hold on the ball. It's so simple, and yet we watch so many movies that just refuse to do it. Well, ironically enough, the most immediate reference I can think of involves David Koechner. It's Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector when David Koechner comes back in the third act like, hey, remember me? How I wasn't relevant to anything? I was just a guy in the background playing a mentally challenged character that you didn't like, and now I'm here to stop the bad guy for some reason. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just some movies don't give a shit, and you can tell. You can tell immediately. This one, right at the beginning, I was like, wait a minute, I think I was totally wrong about this movie. It feels like they give a shit. Uh, like, the beginning of the movie got me, hooked me right away when we're seeing David Koechner in all his failed sports management attempts. I was even into the horse jerk-off scene. I thought it was a nice restraint for the uh, director of Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star, not to show us some horse jizz. So even that, I'm coming around on Tom Brady as a director. After Bucky Larson, I was like, worst director of all time. This movie, I'm like, maybe he didn't want to show the jizz. Maybe the studio made him show the jizz. I don't know. I wouldn't be uh, surprised if a lot of the flaws of Bucky Larson were because the director wasn't, he wasn't there to be a director. He was just there to be the guy in that seat. Nick Storzen was the guy that said, no, we got to see the jizz. Right. The jizz was in the script. Yeah. But I, I think with the horse thing for me, it was just, I think it was just a reminder of Freddy got fingered, and that's that association in my brain stopped me from enjoying that sequence. I don't you, but again, you don't see the horse cock. It's directed very gingerly. You see 
uh, the back of David Koechner, you know, with his hand underneath a horse. And then you see a lot of David Koechner close-ups. You see Carl Weathers reacting to the horse. But there's never a shot of, like, a big horse cock or, like, the horse never has a close-up where it's like, It's mostly David Koechner doing, like, fucking, uh, like, 1930s silent movie acting with his face as he's trying to jerk off this horse. And the horse is, like, wrapping its hooves around his head. I thought that was fucking hysterical. And and just the fact that th- th- this is pretty much the only David Koechner movie, I would say. I mean, we've watched a lot of movies with David Koechner in it, and he's, you know, a very sort of reliable side character. But this is the only starring vehicle that I can think of that he's ever done. And he pulls this movie together so well. There's a point later on in the movie where he's giving this, what is effectively, well, I was going to say this, the, the criminal speech where he's like, just doing his David Koechner shit. Um, I'm, I'm putting a clip of that in here, absolutely. And it's like, nobody else could do that the way he does it. It's perfect, it's distilled David... If you love David Koechner, this is why. And it's just... And, and nobody else could do this movie as well as he could in this role. And it and it's just... It, to, to have that, to just have... Because, I mean, we've always been fans of his. We've seen him live. You've seen him live twice because you were jealous the first time because he touched me and not you. And, <laughs> you know, we're big fans is what we're saying. And, and it's just... I'm glad to have this as something, you know... Because he's never going to get it again. No. Uh, no, he's fantastic in this movie. And yeah, while I was watching this, I was like, damn, man. Cause like, you know, after Anchorman, you know, Will Ferrell made it big. Uh, you know, Paul Rudd was really nobody before Anchorman. Steve Carell was really nobody before Anchorman. And they both just shot, you know, into superstardom. And then poor David Koechner, he gets the comebacks and he's in fucking Larry the Cable Guy health inspector. It's like, we, we could do better for David Koechner. I, I wonder if maybe part of it is he, the way, he seems to select roles where, like, whoever was making the movie, whoever was making A Haunted House or A Haunted House 2, I believe he's in both of them, they were like, well, I, we like him for that one thing he does, the brash, you know, whatever, T-bone kind of character. So let's cast him in that. And he's like, fine, I'll take the money. And I don't think he's ever had the ambition to be like, I could be a leading man in movies. Like, this seems to be like the one time he tried and it failed so bad that he's just like, I'll just, I'll just be T-bone in somebody else's movie from now on. Yeah, but he even said that in his... uh stand-up act it's like yeah next time you see me in a shitty movie on tv just remember i got five kids (laughs) so yeah i can't blame him at all for taking any kind of paycheck if he wants to be in a haunted house too if they're gonna pay him then he should be in a a haunted house too 100 percent, and he should not feel bad about it no and and more often than not i wouldn't say this for a haunted house or, or its sequel but more often than not even if he's in a bad movie he's usually like the best part of that movie or at least one part that I enjoyed. I also wouldn't say it for Larry the Cable Guy because of just how he was utilized. But he'll show up in a lot of things where he's just sort of a side character. Like Run, Ronnie, Run. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but I liked him in it. You know, same with, you know, just him popping up in, in different kind of movies. So he's always worthwhile. But, I mean, this proves that I think he could have had a bigger career than he's had. Oh, yeah. That's why I felt so bad watching Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. Because he's worth so much more than that. And in fact, if that was David Koechner, Health Inspector, that movie would have been a classic and we would have loved the shit out of it. Oh, yeah. Well, we should probably talk about the... Like, there's been a lot of talk of of comedy and how it doesn't age well. And this movie is, like, prototypical of that. Like, so many of the jokes... I'm thinking... I'm just going through my notes because most of my notes are just, like, jokes that I wanted to talk about. And, like, the, the daughter... 
dating the black football player and she keeps just in, like emphasizing the fact that he's black like see you later black boyfriend <laughs> like in front of her dad like like that's the reason he, she's dating him oh please this is just another one of your rebellious stunts trying to make me mad it's not a stunt dad it's just me having a boyfriend who happens to be black <laughs> see you later Black boyfriend. And stuff like that just would not fucking fly, but it almost all works. Because the joke is never mean-spirited. You know, there are a lot of gay jokes, but I I mean, I think maybe one I can point to as a little mean-spirited. But that joke that you cited, the joke is on the white girl because David Koechner doesn't give a shit. But she's just trying to be rebellious. So she's like, oh, look, I'm dating a black boyfriend. Like, this will get my dad's attention. But he's just like, yeah, whatever. I don't I don't care. And, and the fact that she keeps bringing it up like it is a thing, the joke's on her. Yeah. The same isn't necessarily the case for, for iPod or for, like, the um, the drag queen dad. Is that yeah, the one that you're talking the, about? Um, that was the only one I could probably cite as, like, a little mean-spirited. Just the fact that they... They use the fact that Matthew Lawrence's dad is a drag queen as a joke that he's, like, different. But even then, the joke works enough because it's the, it's just the satire of that kind of character in other movies is always enforcing his manliness onto someone else. So the idea that he's, you know, he's a drag queen. I mean, it it works structurally even if it is punching down. So I don't know how I feel about it. And I loved it when he brought his friend Madonald. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a joke that goes by so quick, but he's a sh- he's always he's a, a share uh, impersonator drag queen, and at one point he brings a Madonna drag queen whose name is Madonald, and I just fucking <laughs> laugh for like two minutes just at that name. Yeah, well, because he's kind of like the um uh, like the John Voight character in Varsity Blues, like the drunk dad who's like you know not there for his children, and they establish him as that. He's drinking a giant beer, like a beer that's the size of his arm. He's chugging that, and then he's like, "I gotta go to work," and then he pops up in the share outfit, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I work downtown. I I do share on Wednesdays, and I do Britney Spears yeah. on Sundays." I just want to make you proud, Dad, so you can hold your head up high. Please, Dad? All right. But if you give those men at the mill any reason to laugh at me, I swear to God. You work at a mill? The sugar mill. Down on Route 39. I do share four nights a week. Christina Aguilera on Saturday. And so, yeah, it's the juxtaposition that this character would never have a job as a drag queen. I kind of forgive it a little bit, but it was 2007 as well. So. Yeah, and that's, well, again, it seems too late, 2007 even, for stuff like this, but again, none of it, I don't know, that's the thing, how much of it comes across as not mean-spirited because it isn't, or just because we're enjoying it at that point, and as much as we want to kind of claim millennial wokeness, neither of us really care about that, it's yeah. just sort of a feint, so you like, know, we're fine with this shit. Bottom line is, is, if it's funny and it's not hurting anybody, fuck it, do it, you know. Yeah, I may not feel great about it, but I'll laugh at it. And that was actually uh, the part of the movie where I like I really started to enjoy it because the joke leading up to that was like, fuck, that sounds like a joke I would put in a movie like that joke is so perfect when he's yelling at Matthew Lawrence for dropping the ball. 
I really wish you'd reconsider, Mr. Truman. Your son had a great season last year. Hell, he might have been great. If he could learn how to keep from dropping the dang ball. That's not true, Dad. Oh, no? And what the hell is this? That's the Droppy Award for most fumbles in a season. And what the hell is this? That's a picture of me at Camp Fumblewatha. And what are you eating in that picture? A Butterfingers? I was like, shit, like, I wish I would have wrote that joke. Well, there, for me, there was, like, a, a a point of no return with, like, you just have to enjoy even the off-color stuff. And for me, that was when they introduced the stand-and-deliver uh, Hispanic kid. And he cut, Jorge Watson? Yes, and he cuts up the, the, the contract and immediately makes a full taco and eats it. <laughs> it's like, okay, I think I'm just going to be on board with this and not feel bad about it. <laughs> that had me laughing, too, because that was the first time that character was ever seen. <laughs> like, we've been introduced to a lot of the football team, but then all of a sudden David Koechner's like, you guys are studying too hard. You guys need to drink beer and smoke weed. And, like, not give a shit about your academics like real football players. And then just all of a sudden, Jorge Juanson stands up and goes, No, no, essay. But then you have other stuff like, they, 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 again, because that's, that's a reference to Stand and Deliver. It's always in a context where you can at least see that where they're coming from wasn't just, like, like Family Guy. They're, whenever they do, like, an anti-Semitic joke... It's usually just like, I, I get the feeling the person who wrote this was anti-Semitic and thinks that Jews having big noses is funny. Whereas you watch this, something like that, and they're making fun of the, the either either the racism of something else inherent to the reference, or they're at least making fun of just the fact that movies never cared about the, the, the racial insensitivity of, of what they were doing. Yeah, I almost gave them that amount of credit, too, by the point where I was like, maybe they're just because all these movies have a lot of homophobic and racist stereotypes in it maybe they're doing that because that's the genre they're in you know well like the bend it like beckham girl they never make any like derogatory like anti-indian things like how obvious she is at, at being an indian character but that again that's just a reference to there was a popular movie where an indian soccer player was so it's, it's again it's not it's not like they're just making fun of indian people yeah and then like i said earlier they make all of these um, jokes pay off in a way. I almost feel like, you know, if it was written in like a writer's room, you know, someone pitched out like, oh, hey, why don't we have uh, a Bend It Like Beckham, you know? We'll go and we'll have a scene spoofing Bend It Like Beckham. But then like, they were all like, yeah, but we need to make her a character then. Like, we can't just say, here's Bend It Like Beckham and we're done. If we're going to go do a Bend It Like Beckham parody, we need to integrate this with the plot. Like, that we need to grab a character and we need to keep that character through the whole movie. Same with the stand and deliver kid. He's in the rest of the movie. He's a character and he has a fucking storyline. Well, yeah, and that's that's the thing, you know. You again going back to Epic Movie, but again at that same time, if they'd done that with Epic Movie, if uh, fucking Crispin Glover and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory had like joined their team and <laughs> been, would it have been any better? I don't think so. No, I think after like minute three, there was no saving epic movie. <laughs> I want to talk about the townies when he goes into the barbershop and they're all played by like ridiculously famous comic actors that I wonder, like, did they just not have careers in 2007? Was Dak yeah, Shepard and Will Arnett and Bradley Cooper just not famous then? <laughs> yeah, I had to look that up, too, because um, 
Yeah, he goes to the barbershop, and that's where you see uh, John Grease, Dax Shepard, who would have been on um, Punked at this point. Will Arnett would have been on Arrested Development. But I looked up Bradley Cooper. Uh, he hadn't done shit. Like, he was in Wet Hot American Summer, but he wasn't famous for that. Uh, and he was in Wedding Crashers. That was it. Well, he would have been on Alias as well, I think. And what? He would have been on Alias as well, I believe. Oh, I saw he was on Alias. Was he, like, a main character on Alias? I think he was, like, a main cast member for, like, the first three seasons. Okay. Because, yeah, Bradley Cooper shows up in this, and his his whole character is just, like, the uh, indecipherable mushmouth. So, in this barbershop, they'll all be talking, and then Bradley Cooper will go, And it almost feels like a cameo, because why wouldn't they get, like, an old, like, crotchety character actor to play that part if he's just going to mumble? But it's not a cameo, just Bradley Cooper wasn't a star at this point and was available to be in the comebacks that weekend. But if you should play that first game and lose... Ah, heck, there's always another game after that. There's so many games in the play a lot! Oh, can't tell you how relieved that makes me feel, so... Well, good. But if you should lose that second game, we'll tie you to a tree and pour pig's blood all over your ass and let the coyotes have at you. <laughs> and it's up again now, they're gonna, they're gonna get you. Could you wake up in the morning, they're gonna be there waiting for your ass. <laughs> Beyond this, it's just, it's, there's so many gags. And again, I, I mentioned the, the term overwhelming. There's and, and I think the perfect metaphor is the endless tackle, where people keep getting tackled and piled on and then like people in the audience start getting tackled and it's just like and it's like that's the entire movie it's just tackling you with joke after joke after joke to the point where you either just go you're just along for the ride or i think you give up early which maybe is what you did back you know back in the day you know it's it's you just make that choice very early on and you just have to stick with it i think so cuz i also wondered we watched the unrated version and I wondered, like, maybe I saw the theatrical version and just the unrated version is leaps and bounds better. But I'm pretty sure I saw the unrated version because <laughs> I found a website that it's called moviecensorship.com where someone will, I guess, tell you every difference between a theatrical cut and an unrated cut. And apparently stuff that was in the un- only in the unrated cut was stuff I remembered from watching it the first time. So I imagine that this was my fault. When I first watched this movie, I think I was just like, hey, I'm going to put this on just because I want to hate a movie. Like, I want to hate this. And maybe I got to, like, the horse jerk-off scene and I was like, fuck it! The worst movie I've ever seen. There's just so many jokes in the movie that I can think of in different... Like, I can think of... They, they could easily be in an epic movie movie, just bad, just done badly. And it's it's just the goodwill that the movie's already earned, if you've let it earn it, that, you know, that just let it through. So, yeah, I, I think I, it's very easy for me to think that, that you just said, like, yeah, much like I almost did the first time I tried to watch this a couple of days ago. Yeah, horse jerking off, that's all I need to know. Yeah, but no, they, they do a good job with their jokes. Like, one that we skipped past was when uh, David Koechner is meeting Matthew Lawrence for the first time. And uh, Matthew Lawrence is a baseball player, so he's like, all right, well, I'll pitch you a ball, and you hit the ball. Do you got any wood? And then David Koechner thinks he's talking about boners. And I'm like, all right, this is kind of a lame joke. But then they save it at the end when Matthew Lawrence is like, no, I'm talking about baseball bats. He's like, oh, that kind of wood. And then just David Koechner puts the perfect stinger on it when he's like, thought you thought for a second you were talking about cock. Well, it's, it's <laughs> I was like, that yeah. made the whole scene worth it. Strike me out. Are you serious? 
your best pitch. You got some wood? No. But I did on the way over here, though. Sometimes when I'm driving, I like to prop a cup of coffee in my lap, and there's just something about the hot steam that gets my knuckleballs that really, you know, just makes old Charlie hustle. Yeah, that kind of wood. Right. Right. That's it. Thought for a second you were talking about cock. It's the perfect example of just, like, the joke is obvious, and then you make the joke even more obvious, and then that's the joke. Yeah. I, I fucking I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> I watched it twice, by the way. I watched it twice in full. Like once I was just watching it just to like see how bad it was, and I ended up watching the whole thing. And then I was like, shit, I gotta watch it again to like take notes because the first time I was just enjoying it. And I'm surprised how much I enjoyed it just because I don't really know or care about a lot of the references the movie's making. I'm not a sports guy. You're more of a sports movie guy than I am. I mean, I got the 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 obvious ones to like radio and stuff like that, but then you have stuff that's like the general sports movie, like ACL tear. Like you know, this guy's gonna get into an accident because and his name is literally well, his name is like Aceli Thierry or something, and it's like he just keeps mispronouncing it as ACL tear. Stuff like that, I could key into you know, like any good parody movie, any Zucker Abrams Zucker movie where you're parodying the genre and not the specific movies. To where even the the points where they are parodying the specific movies. I feel like they hold up better than they maybe than they certainly do in you know a, 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 a Friedberg Seltzer movie. Yeah, well, there were parts of this movie that like took a break from the absurdity, where you know it was still funny, but it wasn't as like crazy bananas goofy as it as it, uh, some of the other some of the rest of the movie is. Uh, and those parts had me th- reminded of like um, like Major League or like Necessary Roughness or like these movies from the '90s, these sports movies that I like legitimately loved when i was a kid and i'm like i like i'm just enjoying this movie as just like an underdog football team movie too i mean i'm I'm loving the gags in it but i'm also just liking that it's just a story of about a ragtag group of football players no by the end of the movie when they win because i fully suspected given how cynical so much of this movie's point of view is i fully expected them to not win or to do something where winning doesn't matter but no, the, they win, and it's it's as exactly as heartfelt as it is in the actual movie that they're or movies that they're parroting, and it, it works. It, it it's effective, unironically. Yeah, um, <laughs> we did skip over ACL tear. Doesn't just get it. Doesn't just tear his ACL. He gets hit by a bus on the football field. Well, and then the- that made me laugh like the heart. That was the hardest I laughed in the movie because they keep setting him up. You know, okay, ACL tear, you get out there. Hey, coach, if you keep calling me that, I think you're going to jinx me. And then he gets tackled, and they're like, oh, no. And he's like, no, nah, I'm okay. Like, ah, nothing can get that guy down. And then he just gets hit by a bus. Yeah, and, and just and then, of course, that doesn't even phase him. He, he eventually trips on a seed, and then, like, yeah. and the, the effect of the broken leg just breaking in all different directions, like, multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Um... Uh, we got David Keckner watching man-on-man porn. Why does no one understand my method? Jesus, Barb. This is my last shot. These films matter. I need them to become a better coach to win. I just don't see how watching man-on-man porn makes you a better coach. Why must everyone question my method? Why does it have to be so hardcore? Once again, my method! I know, which was another, like, you know, it's a homophobic joke, but I laughed at it. And apparently, 
Thanks to MovieCensorship.com, I know that in the theatrical version, that joke was, why are you watching ladies in their underwear? But in the unrated version, they went with man-on-man porn. Well, I'd be curious about that. We'll get to that when we get to talking about the credits, which is almost, to me, as interesting as the fucking Master of Disguise credits. Because it's like, it's not blooper credits, it's like alternate take credits, but also kind of sequel credits, like, both at the same time. And then, like, they do a thing in the middle of the movie where they all sing Don't Stop Believing, which is what they did in Furry Vengeance with Insane in the Membrane, where, like, everybody's singing it. So I feel like that was almost designed to be at the end, but then they were like, no, we want to put all the alternate takes in the end, so we got to put this in the middle. So it's very interesting the way that, like, the the alternate versions and different cuts of this movie are integrated into this unrated cut. Yeah, it's weird. That's the scene I wanted to talk about next, the Don't Stop Believing music video. Because it just comes out of nowhere. It's the scene where, you know, they lose their first game and they're like, oh, you know, we're worthless. We're not, um, you know, we're never going to win a big game. We should throw in the towel now. And then all of a sudden they just start singing Don't Stop Believing by Journey. And it just turns into a music video where even like the guys at the barbershop are singing Don't Stop Believing. Everyone's just, it's a music video in the middle of the movie. I have no idea why it's in there. But I had the same thought. I was like, I wonder if this was designed to be like in something fun for the end credits. And they were just like, why don't we just put it in the middle of the movie? I mean, if, in light of what they have at the end in the credits, it feels m- much more like that, I think. I, I mean, I don't know if that's the case. But uh, but after that, you get my favorite, my single favorite joke in the movie. When he comes into the locker room. Yeah. And he says, there's a sick kid in the hospital. <laughs> And he's rooting for the other team. So what are we going to do? We want him to die sad. (laughs) Are we going to let little Bobby get his wish? No! I got a letter here from a little boy named Bobby Taylor. The kid's sick. Real sick. Probably won't make it through the night. God damn it. Bobby has one last dying wish. That's for the opposing team to win this game. Now, are we going to let Bobby get his wish? No! What do we want him to do? Die sad! I can't hear you! Die sad! Get on your own! I want to talk about this David Koechner scene because, first, I, I need to play a clip of David Koechner telling his football team that they should take ecstasy, drink beer, and huff paint. After a big win. It's an it's an extended thing, but play the whole fucking thing, because it's just fucking hilarious. Yeah, enjoy this uh, inspired bit by David Koechner. Everybody knows that after you win a football game, you're supposed to consume alcohol at a dangerous rate. Ah, you should be popping ecstasy, man. Oh, yeah, and huffing some paint. What's the color? Good time. Yeah, look at me now, man. Yeah, I brought all these illegal drugs to the party in my fake Louis Vuitton bag that's chock full of pirated DVDs. I got down in Chinatown. Who cares, man? I'm just having some fun because I want a football game. Yeah, I'm a huge drug pushing drug guy. Check me out. Got a 
have some more of that! That's the right spot! Now I'm crazy wasted with a bunch of miners and I'm taking off all my clothes! Yeah, it's cool, man. I'm a football player. That's what we do! Ow! It's the cops! You'll never take me alive! And we're back. Uh, but after that, <laughs> this sets off like 10 minutes of just like hilarity. Like this was the greatest run of scenes. And you can completely cut them out of the movie. Like there's just an arc in the middle of the movie where David Koechner gets arrested, goes to jail and breaks out of jail. And that's it. Like he didn't, you could cut it out of the movie. It doesn't really have an effect on the plot. It's a beginning, middle and end in 10 minutes. But he gets arrested. He goes to jail. There's a great gag where you think he's getting fucked in the ass, but he's really trying to uh, get a, do- a dresser drawer unjammed. And then, uh, but it turns out they they do fuck. But it's consensual. See, I didn't have a problem with this joke in the way that I did with the, the, the sketch in SNL that we talked about. Remember with Christopher Guest and Martin Short? Because oh, yeah. that was all about how isn't it funny that people get raped in prison where the, the it's a twist on the joke in this. He's not actually getting raped. Yeah, you think he's getting raped, and then you find out he's not getting raped, and then his cellmate's like, hey, you want to have sex again? He's like, nah. So, like, he wasn't getting raped at this point in the movie, but apparently just before this happened, he was. Uh, and then Dennis Rodman shows up as the the warden, challenges him to a game of basketball. Then there's this basketball scene. The basketball bounces out of the prison and into a taxi cab. David Koechner's like, I'll get it. And he just gets in the taxi cab and leaves. Dennis Rodman's like, ah, shit. Which, it's weird because I think he's literally supposed to be Dennis Rodman because David Koechner seems to recognize him as Dennis Rodman and go like, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm not going to challenge you to a basketball game. Like, he knows that he would be good just by seeing him. Yeah. (laughs) Somehow in this universe, Dennis Rodman quit whatever he was doing, palling around with Kim Jong-un, and took a job as a prison warden. But you are skipping over. There's an interesting story beat here because the movie starts out with Carl Weathers was David Koechner's like assistant coach through all of his failures. And he recruits him and says, come back and I got a job for you. And then you find out that he's the bad guy the whole time, that he was setting him up for failure. He knew he sucked and he's the coach of the opposing team. And he wanted to make sure that that team never, uh, you know, that the comebacks never came back. Uh, And it has a really funny joke where, you know, Carl Weathers has been the narrator and he's now using his narrator powers for evil. He's like, and then David Koechner fucked the, the wife of the man sitting next to him. The guy's like, what? It's like, no, he's lying. And then, just, and then throughout the rest of the movie, his narration becomes like a superpower. But now you know, coach, the reason why I wanted you to be head coach of the comebacks is because I'm head coach of the Lone Star State Unbeatables. You bastard. How could you? Freddie decided it was time to go. As for a coach, he had bigger things to worry about. Why, just this morning, he banged the wife of the guy sitting next to him. Come on, Turbo, that's impossible. I'm in here with you. (laughs) Yeah, I did like Carl Weathers (laughs) breaking the fourth wall as the narrator. My next note is Frank Caliendo. I did not like Frank. I've never liked Frank Caliendo, and that extended into this. Nobody likes Frank Caliendo. Who likes Frank Caliendo? I, Mad TV liked him for many years, I believe. 
he does impressions of Al Michaels and John Madden calling the play-by-play of the big game at the end. So you think uh, at the beginning it's John Madden and Al Michaels, but then they cut to it's just Frank Caliendo doing impressions of both of them. And I was like, eh. And, well, honestly, in this, I didn't hate Frank Caliendo. Because, again, for some fucking reason, I liked all of the comebacks. I, what fucking universe am I living in now? My whole fucking reality's been smashed. Black is white, up is down, Trump's our president, and the comebacks is a great movie. Well, the rest of my notes are just incidental gags. Like, like the cutaway stuff, like, there's a new Rocky movie, and he's elderly, and they punch him once, and he turns to dust. Uh, there's the newspaper gag where the newspapers keep coming, and by the end, it's like, newspaper focus too much on small town football team. Andy Dick's in this movie. And I, well, I've, I've always liked Andy Dick. I know some people don't like him, but I, I've been, I'm an Andy Dick fan, and I enjoyed him in this as well. I enjoyed a little Andy Dick cameo as the referee in the big game. Uh, the big game also, it just had a lot of, like, fucking, like, Looney Tunes action in it that I liked. But, like, not too much. Like, just enough where it, Felt like a real movie and a parody of a sports movie at the same time. And like I said, since this movie did such a good job of setting up its characters, I, there were fucking stakes at the end. I was actually invested in in them winning this game. The, 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 the truest compliment I can pay to this movie. We've talked about how uh, farts will tend to ruin movies or take us out of movies. There's a moment in this movie... Where he's like inspired to go back into the game and be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. He's da- he has a conversation with his daughter and, and like about like she's in love with the guy and and that and sort of inspires him to like like I'm gonna get thing I'm gonna get down to business. But first he has to take a dump and then he closes the door. <laughs> and in my notes I wrote, they should have farted in that scene. They sh- you should have heard him pooping. <laughs> I was like that would have been the perfect opportunity. He should have said I have to go take a dump and then the next ten minutes is him shitting. Or just like extended enough where it's just like you hear just and then it just keeps going for like a minute straight and then then it's done. And like this no. is a movie that I will afford that luxury where in any other movie I'd be like, oh, why did you have to do the minute long fart? But in this I'd be like, there should have been a minute long fart. That would have made it so much better. <laughs> I would have allowed them a big fart joke if they wanted one, but they decided to have some fucking class. <laughs> Except that at the end of the movie... uh so they win the big game, and then uh, David Koechner goes up to his wife, and he's like, all right, honey, I'll never choose sports over you again. And then a guy shows up, and he's like, oh, hey, I have a basketball uh, contract I want to offer you. My name's Gabe Lowe. Uh, Coach Field? Coach Field, excuse me. Name's Gabe Lowe. I'm looking for a new head basketball coach at Sequel University, and I think you're just the man. You know what? Even at, at the end of this movie, with all of the gay jokes in this movie, I was like, you know what? You've earned that. If you want to call this character gay blow, <laughs> you oh, are allowed to do that. There's one other thing I forgot, and we're getting up to it now, that I forgot to talk about. Uh, his inspirational speech where he's just looking at product placement. <laughs> I wanted this to get a little more absurd. Because, uh, yeah, he's giving a speech and he's like, uh, you should all know the scope of your preparation as he's looking at, you know, a jug of all, a can of scope and preparation H. Where I would have taken the joke is, you know, and he's like, and you, you you can't fall behind. And then he's looking at like a lady's ass or something when he says behind. See, I would have gone with the the references just make no sense, but he's using them anyway. So he's looking, he looks yeah. at like a bag from Olive Garden. And then you're going to find an olive in your garden and... <laughs> <laughs> and it just sort of gets weirder and weirder. You join your M and M's, and don't forget your uh, X's and O's too with the M and M's. 
but yeah, but I I still like I still enjoyed this, and and overall this movie yeah very surprising. I I was not anticipating to enjoy this as much as I did. Well, neither yeah. of us were obviously. This is another pleasant surprise, a high recommendation for me. I assume for you as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was so because <laughs> yeah, I texted you and I was like, I must have fucked up. This movie's funny, but then after I watched it, I was like, there's a chance I'm just high, you know. <laughs> Is it possible you were thinking of a completely different movie and, like, we might be, like, run into that at some point? <laughs> the only part of this movie I remember from my first watch is the scene where the little kid Randy is like, I'll toss your salad, I'll r- give you a rim job. And I remember that joke as just being like, that's all this movie was, is that this movie was just that joke, and that's all I remember. That's interesting, though, because that's just something about human memory that... We're, the the reason so many of these jokes work because like they they wouldn't work in other context is because of the context of the the heart that the movie has. So if you look back on it and remember it without that context, you're just gonna remember the jokes and go, oh, well, that one was kind of crass. I probably didn't enjoy that. Oh, he was jerking off a horse. I probably didn't enjoy that. So, but yeah, it's it's just like you forgot that like oh, I already loved these characters before they jerked off the horse. Yeah, there's a movie surrounding all the jokes that you know, looking back on them. You know, are probably not that cool. So yeah, that's all I got for the comebacks. Definitely a, a yay, a yay for me. Um, anything else before we move on to the list? That's all I got. All right, so here comes the part of the podcast where we... T- oh, you know what I forgot to do? Plug the damn email. I mean to do that every week. If you got a question, Saturday Night Jive Podcast at gmail.com. There, I've plugged the email. And pick a number between 1 and 158. All right, let's go with 25. 25 is Danny Dillon. Um, well, I mean, here's one. Fuck you. <laughs> you want to watch United 93? <laughs> no. Danny Dillon is in United 93? <laughs> you know what? If somehow there is somebody from Saturday Night Live in the ni- the Charlie Sheen 911 movie, I'll watch that. But United oh, 93. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, so I guess we're passing on Denny Dillon. Yes, we're pat. You say that as if that's a strange thing to do. <laughs> well, I guess we gotta pass on Denny Dillon. All right, one through one fifty-eight. Where are you going? All right, fuck it. Uh thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. That is Shabon Fallon. Oh, happy day! <laughs> you know we got something with Shabon Fallon. I would watch Jury Duty. I've never seen it. I, other than Biodome, I don't think I've ever seen a Polly Shore movie. I think that's the only one I've ever seen. Jury Duty, I will watch. I bet you that movie's uh, stupid. I, I don't remember liking Biodome. I, who has ever liked Polly? Well, I know some people who like Polly Shore. I mean, but, I don't uh, mind him. I've, I've seen him on like podcasts and stuff where he seems like, like a fine enough dude. I just, yeah, I just, I've never liked him as a, a comic actor. Okay, so for the lovely and talented Shabon Fallon, next week we'll be watching Jury Duty from 1995, starring Pauly Shore. Who's that? Rick Dukeman? Is he in that one? And Stanley Tucci. And Abe Vigoda. And Tia Carrere. This is a star-studded affair. Brian Doylemore, even. Yeah, no, I'm going to enjoy this, I think. No, I'm not. I'm not going to enjoy this at all. There's no way you're going to enjoy Jury Duty from 1995. But hey, who knows? You never know. The comeback surprised you. Will Jury Duty do the same? Probably not. 
Probably not. So, <laughs> Polly Shore's jury duty next week. Until we see you again, get, get off the shit. The shit.